um, maybe to make you think about it a little differently. I, I, I really believe that, uh, that probably one of, the, one of the most misused, I guess you could say, icons, I think in pretty much any society, is the baby Jesus. Uh, the, the, the way people approach it or think about it and some of the, some of the, the, the stuff that goes along with it, um, how we look at Jesus. I, I know you guys have heard me pick on this before, but uh, the, one of the Christmas songs that talks about how uh, no crying did he make, I, that, that kind of stuff drives me crazy. You're saying Jesus never cried as a baby. As a baby, he never cried. Uh, th- these kind of things, we, we, we over-spiritualize certain aspects of, of these kind of things, Jesus and Christianity, and, and then we under-spiritualize the things that should be spiritualized. And Jesus was a, a baby. Jesus was born from his mother, and he was a baby, and he did all the things that babies do. Um, I, I, was, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I, was, so I, was, I was Skyping with my son and my granddaughter's there, and I'm talking to her. I don't Mostly I'm focused on her, and so he's, she's sitting, kind of sitting, standing in his lap, and he's got his computer there, and, and uh, he kept telling her not, she would reach out and do that on the keyboard, and he kept telling her, don't do that, don't do that, and, uh, and then finally kind of uh, popped her hand, and man, I wanted to whoop him for that, but either way, so he, he's right, he's doing the right thing, I have to encourage him that, but still wanted to whoop him, but so a little bit later, she she kept putting her hand over the keyboard like this. She wasn't touching it. She's just putting it over the keyboard, you know. And, and I can see he's talking to us. There's a few of us in the room. He's talking to us, but he's watching her hand. Because the moment she went like that, she was in trouble, right? So she's just doing that over the keyboard. And I, and I thought to myself, I, I, wonder, I wonder when Jesus did that stuff. As a baby, young baby, young child, toddler. I wonder, I wonder when Jesus did that stuff. We, 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 put, we, put, these, uh, we put Jesus in this category that's, that's not fair to him or the story that he was trying to tell or the information he was trying to give us through the process. If Jesus, if, if Jesus never cried as a baby, then at some particular level, we cannot relate to him. You understand what I'm saying? If Jesus operated as God on this earth, which I do not believe he did. I think scripture shows us he didn't. He was still God, but he didn't operate as God. In fact, we're going to read some scripture about that. But, but if, if he operated as God, then he cannot be our example as, as Christians to follow. We can't be Christ-like because he was God Christ-like, and we will never be God part of Christ-like, so we can't be Christ-like. But the fact that he was human, completely, 100% human, while he was on this planet, then we can, we can be Christ-like. We can follow him. We can follow his example. We can walk in, him, in, in his steps. So Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at um, the story of the wise men. Okay? Again, um, I know this, this is the time of the year when people tolerate some of the things I say because I'm tearing down the important things of Christmas. Um, but you understand there weren't three wise men, right? The song says it, but there weren't three wise men. We, we don't know how many there were, but we know there was an entourage. Now, wh- why do we think there were three? Because they had three gifts. So there had to be one king holding the gift, which really kind of cheapens it. If you think about it, it cheapens it. So if there's one guy holding gold, then that means he could only bring Jesus the amount of gold he could carry individually. I don't think it was limited to that. I think, they, I think when they walked away from Jesus and after they gave him his gifts, I think there was piles of gifts that, that carried, um, carried Joseph, Mary, Jesus, his brothers and sisters for years. I think it did that. And so, so there weren't three wise men, but we're going to look at the story of these here wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, some, not three, and they weren't smoking rubber cigars, depending on which song you've heard. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? This, this is 
to me, of all of the, of all of the story of Jesus, uh, Jesus' birth, you know, the angels and the shepherds, we're going to look at that a little bit next week. But all of this stuff, to me, this is the most interesting because it, it, this part of the story goes so much outside what I would consider normal human thinking, the, the process, the way humans approach people and life and circumstance, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and there's a lot of faith involved with this, but that's, that's not the main focus we're going to get to this morning. But there is a lot of faith involved in this. These, these, these wise, uh, what we would, we would call them scientists, and they were uh, uh, astronomers. There was, a, there was that kind of thinking involved. That's what, what constituted a wise man at this particular time in history. And they come all the way uh, to Jerusalem looking for the baby, the baby Jesus. They're looking for a, a human being that has been born that is still a baby because they have studied a lot of stuff. They've studied scripture and they're studying the stars. They're doing all this kind of stuff and they're following a star. I, I, I've mentioned this before and I, I don't want to totally attack this because I don't exactly know, but I just don't think. There, there's, I saw this on the History Channel uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, talking about that certain star at a certain time will come over and, and it looks kind of like the North Star and that uh, when Mars lines up with Venus, or I don't know what, that, that you, there's a star that they could have seen in the sky that would have been bright. Okay, so here's the question for me. How'd that lead them to Bethlehem? Right? I followed the North Star before because I've been lost in the woods. It didn't lead me to Bethlehem. It led me north. That's all it did. And the idea that some star up in the sky, even if it was at horizon, you understand it can't be at horizon for months. Right? It, it's going to be moving because our planet does that. So the idea that somehow a star that is a natural alignment of the planets or something led Jesus, I mean led these wise men to Jesus' house... That, that literally doesn't make sense. There's no way scientifically, practically, anything that that makes sense. But this is a way that, that we try to take the supernatural out, and we try to take this, this the divine plan of God and his hand doing things, we try to take that off the table and say, well, there's all kinds of natural ways to explain uh, all the stuff in the Bible. Here's another thing. There's a supernatural way to explain the stuff in the Bible, too. When the star led them to Bethlehem? I don't think it was, I think it was literally something that God put that would shine down on above Bethlehem that people noticed. This wasn't just three wise men that noticed this. This is, there's a lot of people, all of the advisors to um, King Herod began to look in scripture because they recognized something bigger. It wasn't just these guys showing up. There was a lot of things going on that they recognized something bigger is happening and so when the wise men show up, now King Herod gets concerned about this because he's seen other things. I think all of this stuff fit together. I, I don't think this was something you can explain naturally. Because here's another thing. If it, if it was the lining up of planets or something else, how many other times did people come looking for Jesus in Bethlehem? Every time those planets lined up again. Every time that star was there or whatever the, 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 the stuff that people say. I think this was a supernatural thing. They said, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We, we saw his star as it rose. This, they picked this one star out. We saw it as it rose, and we've come here to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. As, you know, King Herod was seeing this as his uh, throne being challenged. That's the biggest thing for him. This wasn't a spiritual thing for him. Although it, was, it is very interesting to me that he knows enough about Scripture and he knows the validity, the important authority and the validity of Scripture, that he goes to Scripture to figure out where Jesus is. Although he was just being threatened of his throne. King Herod was deeply disturbed, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Why would everyone in Jerusalem be disturbed if this was just a, a, a bright north star sitting in the sky? There's just too many, too many things going on here. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they said. But this is what the prophet wrote. This is, I had a conversation, it's quite a while back now, six, seven months, something like that. 
um, with a um, with a uh, a devout Jewish man, and he was talking about. I, I was talking to him about Isaiah fifty three, and he said Isaiah fifty three doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. It doesn't have to do with the Messiah. It's not a scripture about the Messiah or anything. And I told him I don't think there can be a stronger scripture in the Old Testament that was accepted about the Messiah before the name Jesus was ever uttered. And that everybody in the time frame from when Isaiah wrote it until the time of Jesus believed that that scripture was a prophecy about the Messiah. He said, well, we don't believe that now. But everybody did up until Jesus. It seems you, I mean, I guess you do have the right. I was about to say he doesn't have the right, but he has the right to say we don't believe it now. But you're wrong. That scripture is probably the strongest scripture there is that was accepted by the Jewish community for centuries. That This was a scripture about the Messiah. This is, this is another one. These, these Jewish guys, these are learned Jewish priests that go to scripture to see where the Messiah was going to be born because scripture tells us. This, this is what I was talking about over the last couple of weeks, some of the stuff about Jesus, that he could not have got all these prophecies done. He couldn't have got all of this stuff happen. As we, as we took communion last week, I was thinking about some of this, this remembering of who Jesus is. He could not have got all of these prophecies done. He couldn't. It was no possible way. And, and these guys knew these prophecies about Jesus. The only way that Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies is supernaturally. He couldn't have done it. It was supernatural. <clears throat> the, the simple one, they said, okay, he's going to be born in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. Verse 6, O you, o you o Bethlehem, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. This, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time the star had first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Somebody asked me just uh, two weeks ago, they said, what about um, the fact that, that, uh, that Pharaoh, when Moses was born, uh, killed all of the first, the, the, the boys up to two years old, and how similar that is to the story of King Herod and Jesus? I said, you, you got it right. That is the reason it was like that. It was, it was a, a, um, a pre-story to the story. Everything in the Old Testament sets us up for who Jesus is. Everything in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about Jesus. That's the point of it. There is no reason for the Old Testament without Jesus. The whole thing is Jesus. The entire thing is Jesus. And every single story sets up the, the, the fulfillment of when Jesus comes. Jesus, remember what Paul said, Jesus came to fulfill the word, not to destroy it. He, didn't, he wasn't trying to tear down the Old Testament. He came to, to close and lock every single thing that was opened in the, the Old Testament. And he does that with himself. And these, these prophecies are part of this. So Herod calls these wise men, and what he ends up doing is... is that he asked them, how long did you start following this star or see this star, whatever the case is, um, up to a couple years. So he said, okay, we're going to kill all the males up to two years old. Now, here's something that I think is pretty interesting. King Herod believed in the veracity, maybe not the deity, but the, the legitimacy of Jesus way more than society does today. When you, when you massacre an entire uh, group for two years, boys, you believe there's credible threat there. You believe there's something legitimate about this story. Or at least you believe that people will buy into this story pretty legitimately, right? So Herod is pretty serious about this. And then he tells them, go to Bethlehem. They're not, it says they're wise men, okay? They didn't fall for it. They're wise men. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. The star stopped. It was, it was going ahead of them, and it stopped over where Jesus was. 
This is not, this is not some star in the horizon that kind of led them a little bit down a path that maybe was toward that direction. It doesn't, I, I, I have seen that History Channel thing probably four or five times. And every time about this year, I bring it back up and I look at it again to irritate me. That's the only reason I watch it. No, I actually try to think to myself, what are they, why are they so, but whatever. But it, it's not, that's not what happened. This is very specific what Scripture is saying happened here. And this was, this was not something they could have just written down and nobody checked on. The people that are reading this at the time, that are reading, this, isn't, this isn't 200 years later, this is 30 years later that they wrote this. Actually a little bit less than that. And, and by, the time, by the time that this is written, Jesus has obviously died, resurrected, and they write this. People were still alive that were part of this. They could have said, that's not the way it happened. It was just a star out in the horizon. They, he, they write, Matthew writes this, and it was easily checked on. Let me throw this out here just as a side note so you can process this. Depending on what you're studying and looking at, some people say that the Gospels were written around um, 35 to 55 A.D., which would have put them uh, a decade to two decades after Jesus' resurrection, right? Some people push them all the way past 70 A.D., if you see somebody that's writing something and they say that the Gospels were not written until after 70 A.D., they are wrong. They're, they are, they're trying to attack the deity of Jesus. Okay? These can be theologians. They can be, it doesn't matter what denomination, it doesn't matter what group. If they put the writings after 70 A.D., they are attacking the supernaturalness and the deity and the, the power of the Holy Spirit of, of, the writing, of Jesus Christ in the writings of the Gospel. You say, why? Because Jesus prophesied that the temple was going to be torn down, and the only way that they can make that legitimate is they say these were written after the temple was torn down in 70 AD, 68 to 70 AD. And that means it wasn't a prophecy. They were just writing about something they knew that happened. That was, that's, one of the, that's one of the linchpins for this whole thing. Don't you go with the earlier dates. The earlier dates are the legitimate dates that were accepted for, for centuries and centuries. It's only been in the last couple hundred years that people began to push into a later date mentality. And it's because they can't accept the supernatural. That's the only reason. Okay? It's just a little Bible study thing for you to kind of hold on to there. All right. <clears throat> it, the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star stopping over the place where Jesus was, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. That's, that's a pretty specific star, right? Are, are you following me? See, this is one of the things that, that we have to wrestle with in our own spirit. You've got to wrestle with this. Regardless of what I say right now, you've got to decide whether you believe this stuff. You have to decide whether this is literally what happened or this is just some kind of writing somebody made up or it's metaphorical. Or You have to decide that for yourself. And, and, I, and I believe with everything in me that that star led them to a specific place. And it stopped moving over that place when they got there. Okay? They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I, I, I've, I've talked about this before. The reason it was gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I'm not going to go into that. But they're very specific. You can Google that. A lot of interesting stuff about why gold, frankincense, and myrrh is what they brought. They didn't bring other things. But these, these, these guys, this whole troop of people, they come to Jesus. And by the time they get to Jesus, this is another thing with the timelines. Um, this is where we get the Christmas story a little compressed right? That when the wise men come there, Jesus has just been born, like, you know, the angels tell the shepherds, the shepherds come, like, within a, a hours of Jesus's birth, and then we assume that the shepherds were still standing there, and the wise men step up and ride up, except King Herod killed all of the boys up to two years old. So it, it Jesus was probably closer to two by the time they got there. That's just another thing to mess up your nativity. So, so Jesus, Jesus is there. He's a little baby. 
And these guys come and bow down to him. Have you ever processed that? They come and bow down to a baby. They, they don't have the ability to say, hey, are you the right one? Jesus can't say that at that point. He doesn't know. Jesus doesn't know who he is at that point. He's a baby. Mary and Joseph, there's, there's no way they let those wise men leave without telling them the whole story. Right? The angels coming and talking to him and, 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 and cousin John, all this other stuff. They, they had to have told them the whole stories. But before they talked to Mary and Joseph, they still came. They were still on their way. They bowed down to this little baby. See, I, I believe that the story of Jesus in the manger and these wise men, the wise men part of it, I believe is a submission thing more than a faith thing. That, that these, these guys submit. Now, what are they submitting to? What are they submitting to? In fact, uh, I've got it later, but throw that picture up there. <clears throat> this is, they, they come to this moment. This is what they, this, this is actually Jesus, by the way. You guys didn't know that. I found this on the internet. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said this was a qualified picture of Jesus on the internet. So, so here's the thing with me. I, this, this just, I just, it, I, it's so difficult for me to wrap my mind around. You, you travel for weeks, months to get to this point, and you, you bow down to a little baby. That is some amazing submission to God, His Scripture, the the whole story following this star, everything. You get there, and this is a little baby. Did, did somebody in that group, anybody in that group, go, man? I hope we got this right. They're going to be singing songs about us someday. I hope we got this right. And the little drummer boys stand there going, it's right, you got it right. Now, now think about this. See, there's a lot of stuff in Christmas. When you really think about it, you're like, what? Wait a second. They, they bow down to a baby. They submit to a king before there is any evidence whatsoever that he is really truly the king. They bow down and submit to him. This is, this is my goal, this is my point for this morning, is for us to process and think to ourselves, what does it mean for me to submit to the king? To bow my life before the king? Not let him be the reason for the season and the songs and all the stuff. And, and by the way, just so people know, I know different people think different about this. I get that. But I'm, I'm not anti-Christmas tree. I'm not anti-Santa. Uh, I'm not anti any of that kind of stuff. Are, are there any little kids in here? No? No? You believe in Santa? Okay. All right. So I just want to make sure. But I don't want to ruin I don't want to be that guy. Okay. <laughs> I just remember, I always, in my head, I always remember talking to my oldest about Santa and his eyes getting all watery and swelling up and looking at me. And that kind of thing, I was like, maybe I did this too early, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I don't have a, a problem with Santa. I don't have a problem with any of that stuff. We, had a, we have a friend of ours that we did this for years and years. In fact, if you've got grandkids or you've got little kids that are growing up, this is a great thing to do. You'll mess with their heads for years. We had a friend of ours. We were just sitting there in the car one day and, and driving along, and the kids were talking about Santa, and the oldest one was talking about, see, we made a mistake. When we told him, he, everything with him is black and white. There is no middle ground. There is nothing. There is a right way to live life, and there is a wrong way to live life, and everybody else must submit to that. That's the way he thinks. And so now he's upset at mom and dad because mom and dad are propagating a lie to his brothers and sisters. I'm like, sure. And so I said, okay, I'll just call Santa. And I picked up the phone and called a friend of mine in Texas. And I said, hey, Santa, this is Scott. Do you mind talking to my kids? And he, he's like, what? oh, yeah, okay, all right. Hey, kids, this is Santa, you know, that kind of thing. We called him for years, for years. Emily was like 14, and one day she's like, this sounds a lot like Jeff. <laughs> like, it's not Jeff. So, 
I, I like trees. I like Santa. I like all that kind of stuff. Guys, at the end of the day, Christmas truly is the, the, the beginning of our redemption. It's the beginning of our submission to the king in such a way that we understand he's the king. Not, not God the way that we have understood him from the Old Testament, which obviously it's, it's, they're still God. Both of them, Jesus, God, they're the same, all this kind of stuff. But, but we weren't using the same kind of terminology as the king and stuff. Now we're submitting and we're bowing down to the king, the redeemer king. That's what's going on in this story with the, with the wise men, that they're submitting to the king. <clears throat> they entered the house with the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They gave him these gifts. I was thinking about this. There's this song. I, I've been, this song is probably 20, 25 years old. It's by a group named Audio Adrenaline. They were, they were one of the biggest uh, bands, of, uh, Christian bands at their time. And they, and one of my favorite bands of history, I say, I say history, I don't feel like it was that long ago, but uh, they had this song, I'm Not the King. They, they, people were talking about how that they were, they were the kings of Christian rock. That kind of became their, their um, moniker. And uh, so, so the, he came out with this song, and he said, I'm not the king, I just sing. And I thought that was a powerful line. I, I say that, sometimes I say that out loud when somebody's um, giving platitudes to me or something. I'm not the king, I just sing, or I just preach. I'm not the king. Um, you know, Elvis, the king of rock and roll. Uh, LeBron James, they call him King James. Here's something that I have found. When, when people start putting you up on a pedestal, it goes very quickly to your head. It's called human nature. It is very difficult to not let that happen. It's very difficult to not change when you get power and authority and, uh, and lots of money. I don't mean a little bit. Actually, I think people change constantly, even with a little bit of money. But but when you get lots of money, things change. You can change. This has been one of my issues with, with politicians. When you have a, a, what looks to be like a legitimate politician, and then they go to, and I think it is an appropriate term, when they go to the swamp of Washington, D.C., they don't usually come out the same. Very, very, very rarely does a politician not get corrupted by the system of Washington, D.C., so you, you think about these things, you think about power, you think about all this kind of stuff and how it messes with people. We were never designed to be kings. We were never designed to, to, to uh, be in complete authority like that. In fact, when they were about to, to put King Saul in charge of him, God warned them over and over, you don't know what a king means. You don't know. And he gives this big list. The prophet spells out this list and, and says all these things. He's going to send your people to war. He's going to take your money, taxes, all this kind of stuff. You don't want a king. No, we want a king. Because why? Human beings were not designed by God to be that. We were designed by God to be in submission to the king. Now, rule with him, those kind of things. Scripture says we're going to do that. But he's still the king. That's the difference. And this kind of thing, we see this happen. I just saw this this week. It really irritated me because I like him and I, I like his character. The, Mark Ruffalo, the guy that plays Incredible Hulk, he came out this week, you guys, or his last week, do you see that he starts attacking capitalism? Says capitalism is destroying lives, newness, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, Mark, look at your bank account. How did you become what you are? You came because of capitalism. You can't do that in any other country. You can't. America is just about the only place on the planet you could do what you did. And I think I see this with these professional athletes. I see this with all these, these, these people. They, 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 they capture, they grab onto what we used to call the brass ring. They capture the American dream. They, they get the ability to be something they would never be in any other setting. And then they turn around and they attack the very system that, that, that got them where they are. Because why? They start thinking they're the king. They start thinking they're in charge. They start thinking they're... When these wise men, the thing, the, the, the thing that makes them the wisest is the moment they knelt down before Jesus. That is the de definition of wisdom that, that defined them. You kneel down to the true king. 
They were so much more learned and understanding than that little baby. They knew stuff, all kinds of stuff. That baby was just figuring out, you know, his hand. Oh, wow. You know, that's where he was. And they bowed down to him. That is the epitome of wisdom. We get to the point where we think we are it. We think it's about what we want, what we desire. We get to make the rules. We get to decide for ourselves and people around, all this other stuff. And yes, God gives us those abilities and those freedoms, but it's very important that we, that we remember that it's the humility that, that makes Christians different than the rest of the world. It's the humility, the submission to, to God, submission to Jesus the King. It's this, this humbleness, brokenness that makes us different. It's, it's not, this is me, look at me. This is my agenda. This is my plan. I, I talked about this some last week, and I'm going to talk about this a lot more next week. This idea that we have sometimes, that, that I talked about this Wednesday night, actually, that we, our rights, our rights, as according to m- almost all of Scripture, the moment you submit to a holy God, your rights diminish down to just about nothing. You have the right to serve God but that's only because he has made it so. We fight so hard. In our American culture, this is one of the things that's so countercultural. Our American culture pushes, pushes, pushes. Individualism, rights, all this kind of stuff. And I like that. I, I do like that. I, I think one of the most amazing things is the Bill of Rights. Which, by the way, you ever want to just study that little ten things there? Do you realize that the Bill of Rights doesn't, it isn't something that you, it isn't something that you get Read them sometime. It's not something that says, you can do this and you can do this. What it says is the government won't stop you from doing this. The Bill of Rights is actually a stop on the government. Read it sometime. It's, the, it's telling the government, go jump in the river. Human beings are the, po- are the focus. The people. Well, because of that, and I agree with that. I agree strongly with that. Because of that, we let that bleed into our Christian walk, and we think we have rights. You know what your right is? To crawl upon the altar and die with Jesus. That's what Romans 12 says. That's your right. To die with Jesus. And then the rest of your life, carry that cross, that dying tool, carry it around with you so that anytime you think about your rights and your issues and all this kind of stuff, you take that cross, you plant it in the ground, and you crawl upon it. That's, that's what it means by carrying your cross. It doesn't mean you deal with your wife's nagging. That's, I've literally heard people say that. Well, I guess this is the cross I bear. What are you talking about? This, this, is, the, this is the life I have. The cross that you care, the cross that you bear is a daily reminder that you're supposed to die to self. Die. Die. It's not you. It's not, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the king. It's about his kingdom. It's about submission to him. And that's supposed to be our responsibility here. But it's, it's so easy. It is so easy. It is human nature for us just to put ourselves on that pedestal. Again, I'm going to talk about, I'm talking too much about next week. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God. I've talked about this before. This is, this is one of the cooler things, I think, when you just look for in historicity of, of, of Scripture and the gospel and Jesus and all this other kind of stuff. When Jesus hit the planet, is so interesting that he did when he did and where he did. I'll give you one simple thing to process. The only time in history ever, before or after, until just probably the last 50 years, there was a road system the Romans had built, the, the, the Roman road, that's what we call it that when you're talking to witness, it came from a different term. The road system of the Greco-Roman Empire was massive. It was, it was almost all of that part of the world had a road system, paved out, paver road system. And Jesus hits the ground at the time when, when, when getting messages to and from places was easiest ever in history. And because of the collapse of the Greco-Roman Empire, wouldn't exist again until the modern industrial revolution. Which, by the way, is the time frame that we're in now. When I believe Jesus is coming back. I don't think that's a coincidence either. So little things like that. At just the right time, 
The King of kings and the Lord of all lords was revealed from heaven. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor will. Do you understand the significance of that scripture? Because we believe that when we get to heaven, this is something, at least this is the way I grew up thinking, that when we get to heaven, there's a couple basic things, that we'll like be standing, holding hands with Jesus, and that we'll be the same as Jesus, and we'll know everything. That's, that's the way I, you'll, you'll have your perfected mind, you'll know everything. Anybody else ever hear that? You're going, I, I heard that all my life. And then one day I read the Bible. And I realized that's not true. You're going to have perfected minds. You're going to have perfected bodies. You're going to be with Jesus. But you still will never, ever, ever know the completeness of him. And he could never, ever reveal himself completely to any of his creation. Because we're not big enough to handle it. And we won't be big enough to handle it even then. We'll get glimpses, like Isaiah 6, we'll get glimpses. And we'll know more and more. But I believe we'll spend eternity knowing more about Jesus. And we'll never get to the end of that. He's too big. He's too amazing. And this says no one will ever see him. Except when we think about us stepping in heaven, we're going to see him completely. He's going to be standing there. Is he? In some sense, he is. But he can't reveal the, the completeness of who he is. He, it's not possible. It says this here. <clears throat> no human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. See, when these wise men bow down to this little baby, they, there's no way they could have known. They, they're not even close have known the significance, the transcendence, the eternalness of what they were doing at that moment. There's no possible way. But they did seem to know it more than anybody else. And they did seem to know it even more than us. We seem to know it. Even in today when we have all this information, they, they bowed down to this baby. And, and we put him on the mantle. A little wood carving. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. He, he's, he's picking on money here partly because money is one of the biggest things ever that you're going to deal with in your life. Okay, there's, there's three basic things you're going to deal with. Money is, is one of the biggest that you're ever going to deal with. And so he's doing, but this is not limited to money. It, it, what, Anything you put your trust in, anything you put your trust in, more than God, is going to tear down the reality of who he is in your life. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. They, they should be rich in good works. This is something that, 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 um, that Paul is telling us that God is saying. You should be doing works. I've never understood Christians that fight against the idea of doing works as a Christian. Not always say, well, you know, works has, it, we're saved by grace and works has nothing to do with it. That's true. You're saved by grace. But from that second on, you are a, a soldier in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God. You are, a, you are a cell within the body of Christ. You should be doing what you're designed to do. And if you're not, you're being disobedient. That, we, we, we push this grace, 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 grace thing so much, which is, which is the only way you can get saved. That's obviously true. But that's not how a Christian should be living. It is not. And if all we do is do the grace, 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 we, what it does is, it is a, it's a backdoor way of assuaging our guilt when we're not being obedient. That, that's what it is. God has told us to do stuff. He has designed us to do he has designed us for works. And by the way, Scripture says that when we get to eternity, He is going to judge us for those works. It specifically says the works that we do. What we have done. You can only get saved by grace. I would never argue against that. But, but this is the way I've always verbalized it. I don't know if it's exactly the best way to verbalize it, but it'll work. You, you don't get saved by works but you definitely stay saved through them because your attitude and your heart and your existence, it's, 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 it's this simple. If you never do anything for Jesus, there's no way you can convince me or Jesus, in my opinion, that you actually love him and are serving him. Well, you know, I, I prayed a prayer once, and you think that's all that Jesus ever wanted? Just to say some words? But, but never do anything? Never act? 
Never have your life about this? Never teach? Never, never talk? Never do, you know, the cup of cold water? All We talked about some of this Wednesday night. The actual legitimate things that Scripture says do this stuff. Are we doing this stuff? Because as a Christian, how can you legitimately say you're a Christian but not do any of the things he said do? You understand? But we, we've built this so much in American Christianity. Well, as long as I just pray to prayer and I go to church three or four times a year, I'm good. Why, why do we believe into that goofiness? Why do we buy into that stuff? He wants us to be engaged with what he's doing. He wants us to be following. He says, even your money, everything, you should be, your money should belong to God. If it doesn't, how can you say your life does? I, 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 I know I don't preach enough about tithing. I just say it along the way, and I probably need to preach about it more. I know I do. But, but here's the reality. You cannot say that you belong to Jesus if you're not tithing. That is a basic foundation of obedience. You say, well, no, I love him with everything. Except my money. I love him with everything. Except uh, my resources. It is weird. It is weird how we can have that, that schizophrenic mentality of Christianity. It's, it's, it's very unhealthy. He says, tell them they use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. You understand he's talking even into eternal life. How many times does he say in Scripture something along the lines of, what you do now here stores up treasures in heaven. What you're doing here Money, resources, time, attitude, energy, all that. You are storing up resources in eternity, not even here. See, we think about storing up resources here. I, I was thinking about this this last week. I get, I get my um, retirement stuff, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I cannot retire until I'm 98. And so I, I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm thinking, i got to store up more. i got to store up more. And I, I'm not, by the way, I'm not against that. I was looking at my retirement when I was saying this, okay. But I, I think sometimes we put too much emphasis on that. What did all the people do for thousands of years before a 401k? What did they do? And we, we, we put all our emphasis, all our emphasis, all our emphasis. And Jesus is saying, I, I told you, if you'll focus on me, I can take, actually take care of you. I'm not saying this to say don't, don't put in your retirement plan. That makes me nervous that you would think that, okay? Don't, don't, don't put that at my feet. But I do think somewhere, somewhere we have to say, but Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. You're my provider. Hartford Life is not my provider. I could name some others, but I don't know them. Tell them to use... Their money, their life, their existence, doing good. By doing this, they will store up treasure as a good foundation for the future so they experience true life. This, this is something I think is pretty important. None of us, none of us are completely masters of our own destiny. This is very important because I, I'm very much of the mindset, very much of the mindset. You, you, you get a path, you work hard, you, you put your, you know, your, your, a lot of elbow grease in it. You do all this. You do, you do the right thing. You live morally, and, and you will have a good life. I, I very much believe that, and, I, and I'm not changing. I'm not backing away from that. I believe in America, you can be successful if you desire. I really believe that, and, and by the way, I don't believe it near as strong now as I did like from the 70s and 80s. The generation I grew up in, you, you could become wealthy just almost just by doing nothing, just try a little bit, you'd be more wealthy. It was amazing. It was amazing during trickle-down Reaganomics how easy this worked. I believe strongly in the American dream, and I believe you can do something. You can be something, but you got to try. You don't be an idiot, you know, those kind of things. Work hard. But with that being said, be careful, because I, and, I, and I am more convinced of this as I get older than ever before. No one is a true master of their own destiny. There is too much other stuff. There's spiritual stuff. There, there's there's um, 
God's side, Satan's side, all this stuff. And we are spiritual people. So at the end of the day, it's the spiritual that's actually most important. And this, this bowing down to the king was, was the most important thing those guys would ever do. We don't know their names, we don't know, but the most important thing they would ever do is bowing down to Jesus Christ. That's it. Try hard, work hard. I can believe God will even bless you for that. And I believe you can, I believe you can be wealthy. And I don't think being wealthy is wrong. In fact, I think it's a gift from God oftentimes. Jerry Tuttle says this all the time, and, and I believe strongly with what he says here, that he believes that God specifically has blessed him over the years with resources to finance the kingdom of God. I believe that. I, I mean, I'm not saying I believe that about Jerry. Jerry believes it about Jerry. I believe that's possible. I believe it about Jerry too, but I, I think that's a reality. God wants to bless us so we can, we can be um, resources. We can be the hands extended of God. But at the end of the day, the most important is not that. Most important is are you submitted to the king? That's the most important. Sometimes submission to the king means you, you leave every penny behind and you go do what God has told you to do. We know this. He told the rich young ruler that. I, I watched when Lynn and I, right about the time we were getting married, Linda's parents, who had been very successful pastors, all this kind of stuff, had a beautiful house. I mean, a beautiful, beautiful home that his dad Linda's grandfather had built for him, all this other stuff, and they, they sold all that. They walked away from it all so that they could go be missionaries in Africa. And I thought, but you finally just got here. You just arrived. You can actually be comfortable. They were poor, poor. My, my family was not really ever poor. Uh, we were middle class, upper middle class our whole life. Linda's family was poor. I saw the house she lived in when she was a little girl. My family wouldn't have lived in that house. We wouldn't have, trust me. And, and they finally get there, and they sell it all to go to Africa. I thought, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because they're serving the king. The king said, hey, I need you over here. Okay. I need you over here. All right. Submission to the king. That's the point. Submission to the king. Put... put that Jesus up again. We need to see him. We need to see him as I'm reading this. That's not a bad looking little Jesus, is it? Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Now listen to this sentence. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He voluntarily Gave up his divine privilege. Put that picture back up. We're going to do a lot. You're doing fine. You're not doing wrong. I just want to see the picture. To do that. He gave up God of the universe to be that. See, if, if, if I would have agreed to the whole, you know, I'm son of God and I come to the earth, I wouldn't have started like that. I would have started at about 25. Right? And I would have been chiseled. <laughs> right? Think about how, if you really could write the story anyway, how did the, how did the Marvel comics write the story? If, if you saw the, the, more, the, the re, most recent version of Thor, the reason that him being a big fat slob was not... The norm was because that's not how we write the story about ourselves. Some of you are like, what? He was a... I just ruined the movie for you, but it's because that's not how we write the story. Jesus wrote himself as a, as a, as a little fat little baby, crying, pooping baby. That he, he literally wrote the story that way. And the wise men bowed down to him. That's, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Everything he did was submission. Everything he did was humbling himself. Everything he did was giving up himself. And the same reason over and over and over was because he loves us. 
because he loves us. He came to the earth because he loves us. He took on this baby body. He loves us. All this stuff, he loves us. He became a human. He loves us. He died on the cross. He loves us. All of this is the submission, and that's the path we're supposed to follow. We're supposed to submit. We're supposed to humble ourselves. And this is not about how important I am or how whatever I am. It's about how important Jesus is. And this is the season. This is the season where we're supposed to be thinking about this. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And he gave him the name above all other names. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. I've said this many times. In fact, I wrote a song about this years ago. I don't don't, care if I've I've done it here maybe a couple times. But it's a worship song. It has to do with every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Because this is what I always think to myself. Someday we're going to be standing before Jesus and we're going to bow before him. I want to have practiced it so much on this earth that I'm so good at it that my knee hits the ground a split second before everybody else. These wise men practiced. They were practicing something they were going to do in eternity. But the difference is they were doing it to the baby. I don't know if I would have seen the baby if I would have believed, if I would have known, if I would have trusted, if I would have submitted. See, I have the, I have the privilege of 2,000 years later knowing the whole story. And sometimes I even struggle submitting. These guys immediately bowed down to the king. So the question for for us this morning, the focus, the question, are we submitting to the king? This is Christmas. Are we submitting to the king? I I, I saw this little video clip, I'm sure you guys have seen it, of these people fighting in a Walmart over some, I don't know what it was. And it seems like every year at Christmas we get this goofiness. This is what it's, is that really what it's about? I remember the first time I ever noticed was the uh, Tickle Me Elmo. People were fighting in stores over Tickle Me Elmo. This is the reason for the season. It's submission to the king. Why don't you stand with me? So we're going to pray about this this morning. But I would like it to be more of a theme. You've got a lot of stuff coming up. A lot of stuff coming up. Some of you have already bought all your Christmas presents because there's something wrong with you. Most of us are going to be over the next couple of weeks trying to figure this out, and some of us will be out on Christmas Eve trying to figure out the Christmas gifts, right? Linda reminded me yesterday we were at a dinner and I for her women's department, she was talking about, she told some people across the table, yeah, one year in my stocking, I got a big handful of sweet little packets. Well, I had forgot we had stockings, <clears throat> and she liked sweet and low a lot. So I went to the kitchen and got a bunch, shoved them into her stocking. Some of you are like me in this. Um, it's going to be a little hectic between now and Christmas. There's going to be a lot of things that will distract you from the, f- the focus and the purpose of Christmas. It's great to get kids presents. It's fun. It's, it's great to get, exchange you all this kind of stuff. But somehow remember, Jesus is, it's not just Jesus is the reason for the season, okay? We've so even used that that that's become rote. It's submission to Jesus. It's submission to the baby that's the focus of this. Right? Let's pray. God, we, we surrender ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the king. I'm not the king. Nobody in this room is the king. You're the king. Jesus, you're God. We're not. Lord, at best, we're your servants. We're your children. Lord, help us to serve you. Submit to you. God, I give my mind, my spirit, I give my existence to you. I want to submit to you. Lord, I pray that all through this building that we can submit to you. Lord, help us to fight our own desire to be on the throne, to fight our desire to be the king, 
and we submit to you. Keep your head bowed. I want, I want to give us an opportunity this morning to just ask Jesus to be God over our life. <clears throat> you, you know my thinking here. I don't, I don't take for granted that, that everybody in the building is serving Jesus. For us to say, Jesus, I need you to be in charge of me. I need you to be God over my life. And, and basically doing the same thing the wise men did, that we submit, we bow our life to him right now. We submit to him. We say, I need Jesus in charge of my life. He's not, he's not God over my life. I need him to be God over my life. We're all going to pray together. I'm not going to single anybody out or anything like that. But we say, that's me. I need, I need to, to bow my life to Jesus. I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. Yeah, okay. All right. <clears throat> okay. All right. Quite a, quite a few hands. This is... Um, this is encouraging. I say, Jesus, I need you. So everybody in the room, let's let's pray this together. If you raise your hand, do the best you can, do the best you can to make this your personal prayer. But but basically we're just we're just submitting to the king. We're just submitting to the king. So everybody in the room, let's uh, let's repeat this prayer together. Lord God, I submit to you. God over my life. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me clean of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And I submit myself to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we submit to you. Jesus, we submit to you. You're the king. We submit to you. In fact, if you're comfortable with this, why don't you just raise your hand to him and tell him, Jesus, I just submit to you. Jesus, I submit my life to you. Everything about my life, my time, energy, resources, I submit myself to you. You're the king. You're the king. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, and I pray for every one of us in this room that, that through this Christmas season that we'll keep our eyes on you. Jesus, we'll keep our eyes on you. Through the Christmas trees and the gifts and everything else, we'll keep our eyes on you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we ask you to bless us with your spirit, your presence. God, and I pray for these next couple weeks as we go into Christmas that you give us opportunities to tell people about you. Lord, help us to use Christmas. Help us to use all the stuff that's, that's there, that's already just sitting there waiting to engage people with the conversation about you being the king. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name. So I'm going to change this just a little bit. Not before noon tomorrow, but between now and Christmas morning, you're going to have opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Focus in. Think about the people at work. Think about your neighbors, something. Lynn and I have already been getting our, our plans together to visit all our neighbors and do all this stuff for Christmas. Do something. Be, be creative. Talk to somebody about Jesus and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.